You're listening to the Hope Assembly podcast with Pastor Ryan Day. For more information, you can visit us online at hopeassembly.org. Please enjoy this week's sermon. This morning, we are starting a brand new series. I'm so excited about it. Every year, we do an Advent series. And this year in particular, we're going off of the book, Honest Advent by Scott Erickson. Now, hopefully, you have this book. I, I delivered uh, many copies. I know many of you came and saw me at Starbucks, and so we've handed out a lot of copies. copies. But ideally... I would love for every family to have one of these books so that you can do a daily reading for the next 25 days, starting tomorrow on Monday. Each chapter is sort of a small chapter, gives a little bit of scripture um, and sort of a little bit of reflection from Scott Erickson, who's a artist um, in his new book, Honest Abbott. So if you would, uh, if you don't have this book, reach out to me. We can see how maybe we can get this book to you uh, by Monday or sometime Monday so that you can also join in the daily readings uh, for this Advent season. And so we're going to start this series called Honest Advent. It's a four-week series, and Advent really is the, uh, it's the season in the liturgical calendar. It's the four Sundays before Christmas, always the four Sundays leading up to Christmas Day, starting this Sunday and then the next following three Sundays after today. Um, and the word Advent, um, I, I've shared this every single year, but the word Advent comes from the Latin term Adventus, which means coming or arrival. Uh, it translates back into the Greek as perusia, the coming or the arrival of. And so when we talk about the Advent season, what we're talking about is the first Advent, the coming of Christ um, incarnate. And we're also talking about the final Advent when Christ will come again. And so we in this moment sort of live somewhere in the in-between of that first Advent when Christ was born and the final Advent when Christ comes again. So we're in between this inauguration of the kingdom of God and the birth of Christ and the consummation of the kingdom of God in the returning or the second coming of Christ. And in, in this season, what we want to do is we want to take time to have some serious reflection about the first advent when Christ came incarnate, Emmanuel, God with us. And we also want to have some joyful expectation for that final advent when Christ will come again, that we are not in this world without hope. We are here filled with hope because we have a joyful expectation that God is making all things new and he will come again and fully make everything new in him. And I can't think of a better time to talk about, to reflect upon the Advent season than right here, right now in 2020. How many of you know we can all use a little more hope, a little more light, a little more joyful uh, reflection and expectation about what God has done in Christ and what God will do in Christ. Amen. Rich Velotis said it like this. He said, Advent trains us in hopeful waiting. Advent trains us in hopeful waiting. This is what the children of Israel were doing between the Old Testament and the New Testament. 400 years of silence, they were there in the darkness, in the, in the deafness of the night, if you will, waiting with hopeful expectation. We need to be these kind of people 
Recognizing that Jesus has come, but that Jesus is coming again. And here in the middle, we wait with hopeful expectation. And this Advent season teaches us, it trains us in hopeful waiting. Now, this series, Honest Advent, that we're going through is important because I think too often Advent becomes sort of fairy tale-ish, if you will. It's sort of this ethereal or super heavenly idea of, of God uh, incarnate, putting on flesh. And we see it like way off as, as if we were reading a fairy tale book. And, and in doing that, we lose sort of the gritty, messy, real lifeness of the story of Advent. And this book that Scott wrote on his Advent sort of helps bring us back to that reality. It brings us back to an honest reflection. Matter of fact, some of you, I will say right up front here, some of you, if you're flipping through the pages of that book, Scott is an artist. And you'll notice that he's put a lot of his art in the book. And we're going to be posting a lot of that art on our social media. And some of it, some of you might be a little bit taken back because it's real and it is raw art of, of the baby Jesus and the mother Mary and the reality of the situation. And so I want to encourage you, uh, don't be offended by the imagery. Recognize the realness, the messiness, the, the grittiness of the story of Advent when Christ became one of us, when he put on flesh. And so that's why we're doing this Honest Advent series. We've got to remind ourselves that this was a real-life event that took place with real-life implications, not only for Mary, for Jesus, for the world, for us. So today I want to talk a little bit about vulnerability. I want to open this series and discuss this idea of vulnerability. We're going to talk about the vulnerability of God. We're going to talk about the vulnerability of Mary. We're going to talk about how those two things maybe inform us today in 2020. Now the word vulnerability is, is defined as one who is uh, capable of being physically or emotionally wounded or hurt. You could, if you put it in one word beyond vulnerability, I'd say risk. It's a place of risk. Vulnerability is, a, is one who's capable of being physically or emotionally wounded or hurt. A place of risk. And I can't think of a better picture of vulnerability than pregnancy. Right? Mother with child. It's sort of the quintessential picture of vulnerability. I think about uh, Mitch and Molly who are expecting their first child, friends of mine. I think about Clifton uh, um, and his wife, Elise, in Colorado who are expecting their fifth child. No matter where you're at in that spectrum, a mother with child is the quintessential picture of vulnerability. We read a little bit about that in Psalm 139. The psalmist uh, David here is uh, reflecting with this beautiful poetry about this, this vulnerability of, of mother with child. And in Psalm 139, it reads this way, verse 13, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance, and in your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me when, when as yet there was none of them. This 
poetry of David reflecting upon the intricacies and the delicacies and the vulnerability of a child in the womb of its mother, the, the relationship between the two as God is working mysteries in the womb that we know nothing or not much of. In 2020, we know more than David knew. Obviously, now we have ways in which we can get imagery and picture and even video of a child in the womb. But imagine as David was writing this psalm, he was thinking to himself about what is happening in the midst of that darkness, what is happening in the mystery of, of this womb of a woman where God is weaving together humanity. He's caught off guard. He's, he's in wonder and awe about this moment, this beautifully vulnerable moment of child and mother, of pregnancy. Now, we always ascribe this text to our uh, our own lives or the lives of our children or or the people around us rarely do we think about this text in regards to God himself yielding to submitting himself to this same process of becoming a child in the womb uh Scott Erickson his book he talks about this text a little bit and he says this, this interior secret is a vulnerable relationship between two individuals. The forming child trusts the mother to provide all its needs, nourishment, rest, energy, protection, so it can be knit together to its wondrous completion. And the mother offers herself to the forming child, trusting it will take what it needs to mature into completion while refraining from harming, hurting, depleting her own delicate body of what it needs to survive. Both parties grow together, connected at their vulnerabilities. Both parties take the risk of creating something new together. Wow, that is a beautiful thought about this idea of pregnancy. And, you know, I think too often we quickly run to and spend all of our time talking about Jesus and talking about the birth of Jesus and talking about the angels and the shepherds and 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 the uh, star of Bethlehem and all of these wonderful things that are great to celebrate. But I think oftentimes we lose the realness of the story, the down to earthness of the story when God became one of us and how he interacted with Mary, a simple, ordinary Virgin, And so today, this is what we want to talk about, the vulnerability of God and the vulnerability of Mary. Let's start with the vulnerability of God. This is probably something that we're not used to hearing, the statement itself, the vulnerability of God. But let's look at this in regards to the incarnation. Uh, we'll turn here to Philippians real quick. Let me read a couple of scriptures and then we'll, we'll talk about it. Philippians chapter 2 sort of talks about this incarnation and the vulnerability of God. Philippians chapter 2 uh, verses 5 through 8. It says this, have this mind among you. This is Paul writing to the church in Philippi. He says to them, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Okay, so hear that. 
He's, he's essentially saying, though he was God and he had no uh, difficulty reasoning the fact that he was God himself. He's not trying to grasp or understand what it means to be God because he is God. Verse 7, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. It says he empties himself, taking on the form of a servant, and he defines that as meaning that he took on the form of, or was born in the likeness, born in the likeness of men. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And over in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse um Verse 9, 2 Corinthians 8, 9, it says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, being in the form of God, yet for your sake he became form, became poor, taking on the form of man, so that you might, so that you by his poverty might become rich. So he who was poor became rich, so that we who were he who was rich became poor, so that we who were poor could become rich through him. Both of these texts line out for us this sort of idea of the vulnerability of God, this willingness of God to take the risk, to put himself in a place to be physically or emotionally wounded or hurt by incarnation, enfleshing himself, putting himself in flesh, or as Eugene Peterson said, moved into our neighborhood. So let's think about this vulnerability of God for a moment. As I was thinking about it, I began to write some ideas here. Think about this, God, the Alpha and Omega, the creator of the universe, the one who flooded the earth, spoke to Moses through a burning bush, delivered Israel from Egypt, the one who parted the Red Sea, who was a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, the one who was the Shekinah glory on the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies, who brought down the walls of Jericho, who shut the mouths of lions, who walked with Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, otherwise known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, through the fire, who saved Israel through Queen Esther, the God who delivered Goliath into the hands of David and declared through the prophets, thus saith the Lord. This God breaks 400 years of silence with an announcement that he would become a child. Imagine with me the vulnerability of this moment. Imagine the faithful one, now a fetus, the infinite one, an infant, Emmanuel as embryo, the omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent, tethered to an umbilical cord, the great I am in utero, a seed, that will become salvation. Yahweh yielding to the womb of a woman, a virgin woman. Our victor became vulnerable. Our victor became vulnerable. The incarnation speaks to the vulnerability of God, that God would be willing to become one of us, to put on flesh just like us, to move into the neighborhood and walk among us, to be with us as Emmanuel, to be for us, and indeed to give up his life for us.
Oh, the vulnerability of God. But also let's take a minute and think about or reflect upon the vulnerability of Mary. Matter of fact, let's take a little bit more time to talk about the vulnerability of the of Mary because we probably have a little more, uh, we can kind of see ourselves a little bit more in Mary than we do probably in God becoming one of us. So the vulnerability of Mary is what we would call the immaculate conception, right? We know this story. We read it every single year. Luke chapter 2, verse 26 says this, in the sixth month, the sixth that's the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, who was pregnant with John the Baptist. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Gabriel came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Verse 34, and Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? 35, the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let's think about this for a moment. This, this story of the Immaculate Conception. The vulnerability of Mary. Mary, just an ordinary teenager, betrothed as early as the age of 12 years old to Joseph, who's just an ordinary carpenter. And they're living in obscurity in a town called Nazareth, a small village of Galilee. And God's favor interrupts her familiar. Favor, you might say, like favor? Really? You call this favor? Even Mary herself had had suspicions about this favor as she listened with fear, as she trembled in the moment. This announcement that the Lord is with you caught her off guard. This announcement that the Lord is with you caused her to wonder like what sort of announcement might this be? And the angel Gabriel tells her, you don't need to be afraid. The Lord is with you. You have found favor in the eyes of God. And this whole announcement of the Lord is with you is getting ready to have a greater depth of meaning than she could have ever imagined that she's going to conceive and bear a son whose name will be Emmanuel, which means God with us. 
But we have to recognize that Mary's first response isn't joyful wonder. Her first response is intrepidation, this sort of fear. Where she's wondering, like, what does this mean? And the angel has to encourage her, don't be afraid, Mary. Because the Lord is with you. He's found favor in you. And he begins to tell her that she's going to conceive and bear a child. Now listen, pregnancy is scary. Anybody who's experienced it, and look, I, I get it. I'm a, I'm, I'm a man, so I have not personally been pregnant. So I understand the irony of that whole deal. But I've seen my wife be pregnant with two sons. I've had many friends who've been pregnant, so I understand a little something about it. But pregnancy is scary. It is the essence of vulnerability for the child and also for the mother. Both are vulnerable in this moment. A willingness for the mother to yield herself to the unknown in a sort of apprehensive expectation. And we all know this in the natural, that when someone becomes pregnant, there's always, it's like you wait a few weeks, wait if, it, through the first trimester before you start telling people, why? Right? Because you're trying to get through sort of a danger zone of touch and go moments. You're not really sure what might come of this pregnancy. And many people have experienced incredible difficulties and sorrow and miscarriage and struggle in that very beginning. Why? Because pregnancy is the essence of vulnerability. That it's the essence of this apprehensive expectation, longing to be joyful about what might be, but also aware of the difficulties ahead, aware of the unknown that you're entering into. And Mary is experiencing all of these emotions herself. However, Mary's vulnerability is compounded. It's compounded by the fact that she's a teen mom. Anybody ever met a teen mom before? I know from my experience and my wife's experience, we were teen parents. Karen was 17 and I was 19 when we conceived our first son, Eli. And so we understand in some ways the, the uh, compounded vulnerability and scariness of being pregnant when you're just a teenager, in some ways just a child yourself. Now, being pregnant as a teen in the, the first century with Mary and Joseph here wasn't that far out of the realm of normalcy. Uh, as I said earlier, children were betrothed, women were betrothed to be married at the age of 12, and oftentimes by 15 or 16 had been married and have had their first child. But here it compounds the fact that she's a teen mom, but then even beyond that, that she's an unwed teen mom. Now, this has a lot of implications in regards to the law for someone to be to be pregnant outside of wedlock. Again, I can attest myself to my own life experiences of my wife now of 26 plus years. But at the time, just my girlfriend being pregnant at 17 years old, myself being only 19 years old, not yet married and yet bearing child. The vulnerabilities of discussing this with family and friends, eventually having to uh, uh, inform everyone that we are with child. Compound that with the fact that she's not only a teen mom, an unwed teen mom, but an unwed teen mom pregnant by 
the spirit. Now this throws in a twist in the story that I've never experienced and you've probably never experienced before. The compound issue of Mary explaining that she is pregnant, that she is not married, and that she's still a virgin, that she is pregnant by the Spirit of God. Can you imagine the apprehension? Can you imagine the risk that Mary is taking as she yields herself to the announcement of Gabriel to becoming pregnant? with the Christ child. You compound that beyond being an unwed teen mom who's pregnant by the Spirit, but she's an unwed teen mom pregnant by the Spirit with the Son of God. Imagine for a moment if you had to go around town and explain that you were pregnant by the Spirit with the Son of God. Real life implications to Mary's willingness to become vulnerable, to yield herself to the Spirit of God in that moment. And Gabriel says, you shall bear and conceive a child. You shall call his name Jesus. And Mary asked the reasonable question, how can this be since I am a virgin? And the, the angel declares to her that the Holy Spirit will come upon her. The, the power of God will, will overshadow her and her response is, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Her willingness to enter in to that mystery, to enter in to that vulnerability, to embrace the unknown. What courage Mary has in this moment. Mary yields at the risk of her own reputation. Imagine the conversation with Joseph. And we know that that conversation more than likely was difficult because Joseph had decided after finding out that Mary had been pregnant, Joseph had decided that he would not publicly shame her, but yet that he would put her away quietly, that he would remove himself from the situation quietly, that Joseph himself struggled with Mary's story about her pregnancy, that Joseph wrestled with the idea, is she actually pregnant with the child of God by God himself? And it wasn't until he was reassured by an angel himself that Joseph took Mary to be his own wife, that he rejected the idea of divorcing himself from her or removing himself from the story. The conversations that Mary risked, the vulnerable moments of telling Joseph, Joseph, I need to tell you something. An angel came to me. The Holy Spirit overshadowed me. I am pregnant with the Son of God. Think about the talk of the town as Mary inevitably begins to show Weeks 5, 6, 7, 13, 15, 18. The, the belly begins to grow. The child within her is growing. But people know that she was just betrothed to Joseph not too long ago. 
How is it that Mary could be with child already? Whose child is this? Is this Joseph's child outside of wedlock? Is this a bastard child, a child without a father? Whose child is this? Imagine as Mary has to endure the talk of the town. Think about the vulnerability of Mary as she risks fear of failure. Like, what if I don't carry this Christ child to full term? What if something happens to me? What if in my uh, moment of an irresponsible moment that I lose this child? What if I do something wrong and fail God himself? Matter of fact, in, in this first century, uh, uh, the the mortality rate for children was about one third. Almost one third of every single child born died before the age of one in the first century in Rome or under Roman rule. So this fear of failure, failure that she's risking, this embracing of the uncomfortableness of the child that she's nurturing and growing in herself as she too grows with the child, the morning sickness, the uncomfortableness, the inability to sleep, the, the back pain, the, the, the every element of it that the ladies know better than I know, all of the elements of what it looks like to embrace the uncomfortableness of being pregnant. But Mary yields to these things. Mary allows herself to be vulnerable for the sake of the kingdom of God. Now, we could have spent a lot more time talking about the vulnerability of God and the vulnerability of Mary. We could dive much, much deeper into the implications that this pregnancy had for both the Christ child, God putting on flesh in the, in the womb of a woman and the woman herself, Mary, yielding herself to this moment. But let's move on real quickly and just ask the question and maybe think about this week. What does the vulnerability of God and Mary teach us? Maybe spend some time this week reflecting on the vulnerability of God willing to put on flesh and the vulnerability of Mary willing to yield herself to the spirit. But what does this vulnerability of God and Mary teach us? May it teach us to embrace our own vulnerability. Back in Philippians 2, verse 5 through 8, it says, Let this mind be in you that was also in Christ. Meaning this whole idea of the humility of Christ, the willingness of Christ to take on the form and the likeness of man, to humble himself, to take on vulnerability. Let this same mind of humility and vulnerability be in us that we should embrace our own vulnerability. And I know that this becomes difficult for us. Why? Because American self-help, this whole industry that we have that has infiltrated even the church, American self-help has taught us that vulnerability is a liability. They tell us that we should be strong, that we should fake it till we make it. You should never let them see you sweat. But what if vulnerability is holy? What if it is in our vulnerability that God has the ability to meet us in that moment and change us 
transform us. Use us for his kingdom and his glory. What if vulnerability isn't a liability? What if vulnerability is actually holy? 2020 has taught us that we are more vulnerable vulnerable than maybe we thought. We are more vulnerable than we would like to be. And in reality, some people continue to fight this moment that we've been in. This long, drawn-out pandemic, the difficulties of this year, people are trying to fight it. They're kicking and screaming like a toddler who's not gotten their way. They throw their fists in the air and how dare you? And they, my freedoms, my rights, all of these kind of things. And then others have yielded themselves to the uncomfortable interruption that 2020 has brought to us. Looking for God's providence in it all. What is God saying? What is God doing? How is God working in our midst? See, when we look at the vulnerability of God and the vulnerability of Mary, it encourages us to embrace our own vulnerability, that we too can enter into the uncomfortable, that we too can enter into the unknown, that we too can risk being vulnerable with God and with the community that God has placed us in. See, God's vulnerability invites us to find strength in weakness, to find riches in poverty, to embrace servanthood for the sake of others. And Mary's vulnerability invites us to embrace the unknown, to yield to the work of the Spirit, to trust the goodness of the Father working in our lives. You see, it is in our humanity, our limitations, our vulnerabilities where we connect with Jesus. Recognizing that in our weaknesses, our shortcomings, our failures, the places where we aren't enough, Jesus is still Emmanuel. God with us. That's why Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, the celebration of Advent is possible only to those who are troubled in soul, who know themselves to be poor and imperfect, and who look forward to something greater to come. Church, let us be a people in this Advent season, who are willing to embrace our own vulnerability and allow Jesus to meet us and be God with us right there in that moment. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you were willing to put on flesh, to become vulnerable, to risk being wounded and hurt. And indeed, you were wounded and hurt for our transgressions, for our sins. We thank you that Mary was so willing to yield herself to the Holy Spirit to show us the way of courage, to show us the way of strength in the midst of all of her complicated vulnerabilities. May we learn from Mary how to be vulnerable people, how to trust the work of the Spirit in our lives. In this Advent season, Lord, we reflect on that first Advent, that first coming of Jesus. And we recognize the brokenness that we live in still and we wait with hopeful expectation 
for that second coming of Jesus when all things will be made right again. In Jesus' name, amen. Before you go, let me pray this blessing over you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. God bless you. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening. It's our desire to lead people to know Christ and to make him known. If you'd like to support the ministry of Hope Assembly, go to hopeassembly.org. Thank you for listening and God bless.